Well, it's good to see you here this morning. We had uh, a good week. How many enjoyed your week to recover from your week of revival? <laughs> Somehow it seems like we need that a little bit. That was, uh, that was a good time. And really appreciate all you folks who came on out to the, to the meetings. And so many of you involved in so many things to make those things happen, make those things go on. And just can't say thanks enough to all of you for that. Well, we announced at the end of the meetings that we were going to look at a topic just for probably just for today, just a one-time part here, just get, taking us out of the revival week, looking at how we can take those situations that are in our life that have been in there for a long time, those long-time problems, whether they be health, whether they be in your mind, whether they be in your finances, whatever it might be, whatever problem has gone on for a long time, how do you get yourself out of that after we had revival, after we got prayed for, after God did some things in our body, after God did some things in our mind, how many this week felt some of those things come on back, trying to, trying to make their appearance? Yeah, that sure did. So what do you do with that? How do you deal with that? That's what we're going to be looking at here today. There was a first grader who stood up in her class to give a speech, and as he did so, he said, I want to be, what, it's the speech is what I want to be when I grow up. He says, when I grow up. He says, I want to be a lion tamer. I want to have lots of fierce lions. I want to walk into the lion cage. And when I walk into the lion cage, all the lions sit at attention. All the lions roar. And I won't be afraid. Uh, oh, and by the way, my mommy will be with me. Yeah. I'll tell you. We're talking about lions here today. We're going to be having some, some lions show up in our, our uh, verses that we're looking at. I had this in your outline. I had to take it out because there was just no room to get everything else in there. But too often Christians are more concerned with defending ground taken instead of taking new ground. We're on the defensive too often. If you were going to play football, if you were going to play basketball, if you were going to play baseball, the only way you can make an advance is if you are on offense. You don't make advances on defense. Well, as, you can, as a defender, you can intercept the ball, and then you can run it back for a touchdown. Yeah, but as soon as you intercept the ball, you are on offense. The person who has the ball in football is on offense. doesn't matter which crew is out there on the field. Whoever possesses the football is on offense. Too often, folks, as Christians, we're trying to defend ground instead of taking new ground. It's a mindset. It's a different mindset. We're going to take a look at some people who had the mindset to take new ground instead of defending old. In 2 Corinthians, verse 10, 4 through 5, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's an offensive mindset. When things come against you, you don't just stop them. It says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity. That's not defending. That's on offense. We've got to get ourselves more on offense. I believe I put this in your outline for you. Once we have received something from God, the enemy 
or those who don't want us to be blessed will rise up to take it or get it away from us. That's their goal. The enemy wants you to not have what it is that God gives you. That may be your healing. It may be something that got healed in your mind, released in your mind. It may be your joy. It may be your peace. Whatever God has given you, the enemy wants to get it away from you. Because in your hands, it can do a lot of good. So if he gets it out of your hands, then it's not going to do any good. How many of y'all know you can work better for the kingdom of God healed than sick? Yeah. You can do more for the kingdom of God with your mind set free than with your mind in captivity. You can do a whole lot more for the kingdom of God if you are not in fear. So the enemy doesn't want you to be in those places. He wants you to be in captivity. He wants to hold you captive instead of the other way around. So how do we get out of that? Especially if it has gone on for a long period of time. We're so used to it being that way that it's hard to, to get it to go someplace else and, and to change. Now, so, some, habits are, some habits we have are bad and they're hard to break. Do you know some bad habits you have that are hard to break? I never saw this more than uh, my, my uh, second year in cross country. And somebody decided to take me under their wing and help me out. And they said, you know, you don't run right. I'm going to help you with that. And they just followed me and they told me, don't do this, don't do that, quit doing this. You know, you're leaning over too much, you're not leaning over enough. Your arms are up too high, your arms are down too low. Whatever it might be, they just, they just picked on it all the time. And it was the hardest thing to change that. But if you put some time into it, it helped you out. It's not easy to change the way that you have been going. But it can be very beneficial. So how do we get there? How do we do that? Well, once we've received something from God, the enemy wants to take it away. He wants you to, to uh, feel some things, to, to go after some things, to do some things that you're not sub- that God doesn't want you to do. Let me jump down your outline here. I want to give you something. When you are on offense, not playing defense, when you are on offense, you make decisions by principle, not by pressure. When you are on offense, you make decisions by principle, not by pressure. Now flip that around. When you're on defense, what do you do? You make decisions by pressure, not by principle. Isn't that when you got into trouble? You feel peer pressure? You have a principle, don't do the thing, but you feel pressure to do something else. You're on defense. The devil sometimes will come along, he'll get you to feel pressure. Now, I'll put these things in your, your outline, that's why we skipped down here. There's pressure by what we feel. Don't you have pressure by what you feel? When your body is doing a certain thing, feeling a certain way, doesn't that put pressure on you? There's pressure from your, your body. There's pressure from how you feel. Your emotions can put pressure on you. There's pressure by what we think. The things, the thoughts that go through our head, they put pressure on us. I feel like I have to make this decision right away. Pressure. You don't really have to. If you wait a day, you'll probably find out you're all right. But pressure. 
by what we think. Pressure from what we have known. Well, that's the way it's always been. That's the way that I have known it. People always do this. People always say this. People always treat me. My body has always done. When I get up in the morning, it's always this way. Right? Because there's, there's pressure to return to that once again. Now, there's freedom from what we can know. How many of y'all understand this? You don't know everything yet. I don't know everything yet. You don't know everything yet. There's no way we could stand before God and say, God, we know it all. No, He has much to teach us. Much to teach us. And the more we learn from Him, the more freedom there is. There is freedom from what we can know. So I have to stay open that there are some new things for me to know and to gain freedom by. Glory to God. Freedom. But pressure will come. Psalm 118, verse 4. Let those who fear the Lord now say, His mercy endures forever. I call on the Lord in distress. In what? Is distress a pressure-filled situation? I call on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in the broad place. And the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Doesn't pressure create a fear situation? Surely does. Proverbs 24 and verse 10. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. <laughs> There's a refrigerator verse for you, huh? If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Now, don't raise your hands on this. Just use your inside hand. How many of you have fainted in the day of adversity before? What's that say about you? I'm not saying it. The Bible said it. What's it say about you? It says your strength is, which means your strength can be made bigger. And if you make your strength bigger, what will happen in the day of adversity? You won't faint. So just because you have fainted in the past doesn't mean fainting is in your future. It just means you need to get stronger. Just realize, well, I fainted. That's not God's fault. It's mine. I need to get stronger. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. To give you a future and a hope. This is where we want to go. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. These are God. This is God talking. God has thoughts about you, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and not a hope. That would mean, does God want you sick? Wouldn't that go against this verse? God has thoughts of peace, not of evil. If God wanted to make you sick, wouldn't that be a thought of evil? To give you a future and a hope. What sickness and disease do? Doesn't it dim your future? Sometimes it can cut it short. Sometimes it can make it less favorable, less uh, inviting. Then it's not God. If thoughts come in that are apart from this peace and of a future, 
You already know. It's not from God. You don't need a revelation from God. You don't need God to speak to you about it. The Word of God has already spoken to you. Believe it. Uh, Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So just because a thing is the perfect will of God doesn't mean that it happens. You've got to prove it. How do you do it? By being transformed. How do you get transformed? By the renewing of your mind. Your spirit's already been reborn, but your mind's got to be renewed. Do not be conformed to this world. How do you become conformed to this world? Pressure. Isn't it pressure that tries to get you to conform to this world? Stop doing that. Don't do that. Do this. Go this way. Don't say that. Pressure. Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So this is what we want to look at today. How do I get to that place of being transformed? How do I get to that place from where I was before, constantly plagued by these thoughts, constantly plagued by these feelings, constantly plagued by this pressure, constantly giving in and functioning in a certain direction, a certain way? How do I get out of that and get into something else? Because for some of, some of you, a miracle happened this week and your body was changed. Your mind was changed. But if we aren't careful, what happens? Go right back into the way it was before. Yep. Haven't you seen this before? What happens to your car when you clean it all up? <laughs> it rains and gets it dirty again, doesn't it? It's all shiny. Come out of the car wash and it's all shiny. I do it the easy way. I go through the drive-thru. That's a good reason for going through the drive-thru. I don't know about you, but I have good reason to go through the drive-thru. First off, my vehicle is probably taller than yours. My vehicle is bigger than yours. And my vehicle needs to get cleaned underneath. I can't do that. So you know what? I have people who can, who can do that. And so I take it on through. Car wash. And in five minutes, I am transformed into a clean car. And they wax it for me. You know, they, you, this that little cheap little spray on. But you tell you what, that, that does some good. It does some good. It protects your paint. Keeps it all going good. You get that car out there and the salt. I'll tell you what, all of you ought to take you on out to the car wash. Whatever one you got, make sure they have that undercarriage. Spray that thing. Get that done. You don't need that thing rusting out underneath where you can't see it. Change it all up. But then there's the inside. Have you ever gotten frustrated because your windows are messy? And your carpet's got crumbs on it? And the seats aren't the way they should be? And you go in there and you vacuum it all out and you do stuff with it? And a few weeks later, what happens? Yeah. But how many of you have ever said this? After you got done, I'm going to vacuum this out once a week. Because you enjoy so much driving around the car. It's all nice and cleaned up. I'm going to vacuum it. I'm going to clean all the trash out. Every time I have trash, I'm going to find a place and I'm going to take the trash out. I'm going to vacuum it out. I'm going to clean those windows before they get messy and dirty. And I'm just going to keep them clean. And, you, you know, maybe even the first week you did it. But then the second week happened. And then the third week happened. Yeah. 
But then there's some people, and their car's clean all the time. Why is that? <laughs> See, there's a routine that we can fall into. There's a routine that we can fall into. It's hard to break it. It's hard to break it. And beside that, once you're used to a dirty car, it's real easy to have a dirty car because you're used to it. Once you're used to a body filled with pain, it's real easy to get used to it and to even invite it back again. I know some people, no one here, I know, I'm sure of that, but I have run into people. You probably have run into them too. If they got healed, they'd miss their pain. The way they talk about it. They would miss their pain. They'd miss being able to have a conversation. What, do you, what else do you talk about but your pains? You know, what else do you do? What else do you do if you don't have something to complain about? No one here, but you know people that are, that are like that. Well, they're going to fall into that same situation they were before. Be on offense. Make decisions by principle, not by pressure. Defense, you make decisions based by pressure, not by principle. That's not what you want to do. I want you to turn over to 2 Samuel 23. We're going to look at verse 20. How many of you all know Beniah? Beniah actually is mentioned a number of times in the Bible. He's not just one of those guys who comes up one time, we hear about him, and that's it. He actually comes up a number of times. If you do a search on this name, you will find this name shows up about 42 times in the Bible. Not all of them are him. But a lot of them are. Most of them are this guy. Beniah. He was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. Lion-like hero. Why they call them lion? I don't know. Are they, you know, they got big hands. They got a roar or whatever it is. They called them lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. Now, I want you to think about this. We have a number of times that people have killed lions. David did it while protecting the sheep. Why does David kill the lion? Because the lion wants to come and kill a sheep. He's supposed to protect them, so he goes out and he kills the, the lion, keeps it from killing the, the sheep. Samson, why does he do it? Same reason he does, does everything else. Himself. A lion came after him. I believe that's over in First um, Samuel, or in uh, Judges 14. In Judges 14, I think you'll find that. Um, he does it because he's protecting himself. He doesn't want to die. And the lion came after him. So he, he kills him. Daniel was thrown into a den of lions. He didn't go in there willingly. He was thrown into the den of lions. And then you have Beniah. Why does Beniah go into the pit where the lion is? Why does he do that? Now, it's a snowy day. How do you think the lion got into the pit? Probably, since as we're talking about a snowy day, he slips on the snow. If you are a lion and you were in a pit, what would you try and do? You would try and get out. So we know this about the pit. It's lion proof. A lion cannot get out of this pit. If the lion could get out of the pit, the lion would have gotten out of the pit. But the lion can't get out of the pit. Either it's covered with snow, it's covered with ice, 
or it's just too steep, whatever it might be. But here's the thing. The lion is in the pit. The lion can't get out of the pit. Benaniah, he is not in the pit. Is the lion a danger to Benaniah? No danger at all. <laughs> this, he can just sit there and, like a zoo. Go up there and look. Oh, look at the pretty lion. Oh, he's mad. He's a mad lion. Hey, lion. You could throw stuff at the lion. Everyone to throw something at a lion? Can't do it at a zoo. There's zoo people coming out there and get you. But if everyone to throw something at a lion, here's a, there's no zookeeper. Lion's in the pit. He can't get out. You can make him mad. He's not getting out of there. If he could, he, he would. And lions can jump. I mean, they can jump. They can jump high. A lot higher than people can. Strong. Lion's in the pit. So here's Beniah. He sees the lion in the pit. The lion's not hurting anybody. The lion cannot hurt him. So he does what any other person would do. Right? How does Beniah kill the lion? There's only one way to kill a lion who is in a pit. If you're not going to use a gun. How are you going to do it? You've got to get down in the pit with the lion. That takes effort. He's not slipping in the pit. He didn't fall in the pit. It says he went down into the pit. Isn't that what it said? He's just walking on by, regular old day, sees a lion in a pit. He says, I think I'm going to kill that lion. How many of you would have that thought? How many of you walking by a pit would think, yeah, I don't know, I'm not doing anything right now. How if I just go down the pit and kill the lion? First off, most of us would think, I can't kill the lion, right? <laughs> we leave the lion alone. The lion is, is, is there. We'll just let the lion. Eventually, the lion's going to starve to death. The lion's going to be dead. He doesn't do that. No. I'm going to go down. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. Now, here's the fun part. I'm going to go down into the pit. We're both going to be trapped in the pit. And I can't get out. But that's okay. I'm going to kill the lion. You've got to have some confidence that you're going to kill this lion. That's the mentality. That's an offensive mentality. There's a lion in the pit. I'm outside the pit. I'm going to go down in the pit. Take care of him. Most of us with sickness and disease, most of us with mental uh, bondages that, that come against it, whatever it is that comes against us, most of us have an idea to get away from it. It's a defensive mentality. We don't have the idea to confront it, to go after it. You need the mentality of Beniah, who says, I kill lions for no good reason. David had a good reason. Samson, he had a reason. Daniel, he didn't kill any lion. He leaves them all alone. He just hangs out with them for a while. But it wasn't his choice. Now, Benaiah means God built. You see that name show up? That's what it means in Hebrew, God built. So we know that he went down into the pit on a snowy day and kills the lion. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him and with a staff, wrested the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. 
So we're talking about a man who was big, a large man who has a large spear. You don't have one. So what do you do? Well, naturally, you go after the guy, you take his spear and you use it. There's only one spear here. These things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiah, did and won a name among the three mighty men. Now, if you go back a little bit further, you hear what the three mighty men of David's did to become the three mighty men. There were three, there were 30, there was a second set of three and so forth. And um, Out of the 600 men that he had, he was more honored than the 30, the 30 of the men, but he did not attain to the first three. So doing all those things, I mean, you're good. <laughs> you still got some growth, though. We still got some people ahead of you. And David appointed him over his guard. Now, later on, he's going to get appointed to, to other positions and other things. If you're here in the first King series, we talked about some of the things that he had done. But he's, um, he's actually in the Bible quite a bit. And this is his mentality. This is how he goes about life. Lion in a pit, kill the lion. Egyptian, big guy, big spear, what do you do? Let's go take care of him. Let's go take him out. Moab has a couple of lion-like heroes. What do you do with them? Oh, we kill them. They come against the people of God, we kill them. So we do. Now, why does a guy do these kind of things? Well, he's got a different attitude about lions than you and I do. Most of us, our attitude towards lions is the same, right? Get away. Stay away. Refrain from engaging the lion. Isn't that your philosophy? You see a lion? We don't want to engage the lion. We don't need to make the lion mad. We need to leave the lion alone. I've never seen a lion outside of the zoo. I don't know that I want to. But this is not this guy. I'll put this in your outline for you. When we have battled a condition for a long time, we can feel like we are in a pit with a lion. Something that wants to kill us and we have no escape. That describes your situation. I feel like I'm in a pit. I feel like I can't get out. And I feel like what's in the pit here with me wants to kill me. Now, if you're Beniah, come on, lion. If you don't have that attitude, what are you doing? Trying to move away in the corner somewhere? Trying to scale the walls? Trying to get away from the lion? Because you think the lion is more powerful than you are. All right? Some of you are thinking right now, well, that's right. <laughs> the lion is more powerful than I am. Well, apparently, Benaiah doesn't think that. Now, in the New Testament... The Word of God says that our enemy goes around like what? If you have an attitude about lions that's wrong, what's your attitude towards the enemy? Hmm. You need to have a better attitude about lions. Our attitude is more like one who fell into the pit instead of one who had gone down into the pit. Isn't, that diff Isn't there a difference in an attitude with someone who falls into a pit with a lion in it? Then someone who goes down intentionally into the pit with a lion in it? Can't you see the difference in an attitude? This is why we're losing. Because when we're in the pit with a lion, we got there because we fell. And we're in fear. And we're trying to scale the walls. We're trying to hide in the corner. 
Where can you hide in a pit? I've never seen a pit anywhere that you can hide in. You can get as far away from the subject as you uh, possibly can, but the lion can corner you and say, I'm in the pit. I'm going to eat you. And you feel like you have no way to do that. Now, here's how to tell if you are in a pit with a lion because you fell or if you are in a pit with a lion because you went down into it. Here's how you tell. Ready? Listen to your prayers. Are they cries for help? Oh, Lord, please help me. This condition is too great for me. Oh, please help me, Lord. Please take this condition away. Please heal me. Oh, Lord, please. You have fallen in the pit. Now, how's, how's a person pray who goes down into the pit? How's Benaiah pray? <laughs> Lord, I am now in the pit with a lion. Let's get him. That lion's going to be sorry he saw me coming down this pit. And was that lion sorry? Yeah, he sure was. That lion was sorry. Listen to your prayers. Are they cries for help or prayers for victory? What are they? So too often, and you go through the Word of God, you're going to find people who had cries for help instead of prayers for victory. Look at the ones that God was pleased with. All right, let's take a look at this principle we need to learn here. Because again, we want to live by principle, not by pressure. So what's the principle we need to learn? Second Timothy, chapter 1. I put this in your outline for you. We've talked about this concept before. When we leave the realm of faith, we move into the realm of fear. When we leave the realm of faith, we move into the realm of fear. Brother Hagin used to teach us. I've told you the, what he taught us on this a number of times. But the devil wants to get you out of the realm of faith. Because if you are in the realm of faith, you will defeat him every time. If he can get you out of the realm of faith, he will defeat you every time. So the whole idea is get you out of that arena where you're comfortable. Think of it this way. How many of you enjoy the game of tennis? You like the game of tennis? I can't say that I'm, I love playing tennis. I haven't played in many, many years, but had, had loved it. And if you watch it on the TV, we just were, uh, some of the restaurants we were at, they had tennis up on the TV. And it was that funny game of tennis where they play and the court is red. It's on a clay court. You have some people that on a clay court are unstoppable. They go over to Wimbledon and they go on a grass court. They're not as strong. Put them on a clay court, they're, they're unstoppable. On a grass court, not as strong. Then there's also the, I don't even, what do they call the other kind of court? Hard court? All right, they put them on a hard court, the green, you know, nice green, nice painted lines, and, uh, and, and it's something different. They're all different courts. What kind of court are you better at? Game of football. Used to be that a lot of uh, arena, a lot of uh, stadiums were in uh, AstroTurf. Some people hated AstroTurf. Some people liked it. Not too many I've heard like that. Most of them like to play on grass. The devil wants to get you onto a court that he can defeat you in. And as long as you stay in the faith area, he cannot win. So his goal is 
to get you from faith. He doesn't care what court you're in, just to get you into another court, get you into another place. Because any other place, he wins. Faith, that's your home court. You've got home court advantage. Take advantage of it. Get you to fear that that pain, that condition, that problem, whatever it is that you got prayed for, that you got you know, relief from, it's going to come back. If you get you to fear, you can change the game. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my father, uh, forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother, Louise, and your mother, Eunice, I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. The New Living Translation reads it this way. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And it's, uh, it did not give me my New Living. Look at that. It gave me, copied the wrong one. It actually says it this way. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. The easy to read translation reads it this way. The Spirit gave us, uh, the, the, the Spirit of God gave us does not make us afraid. The spirit God gave us does not make us afraid. Get this one down. The spirit that God gave us does not make us afraid. The word there for fear is a word that means fear or timidity. That's why the one translation put it both ways. It's a timid you're, you're, you're shy, you're bashful, you're not, you're not out there because of fear. The Spirit, gave us, the Spirit God gave us does not make us afraid. His Spirit is a source of power and love and self-control. His Spirit, the Spirit that God gave us, is a source of power and love and self-control. How do I know if I have left the realm of faith? How can I identify it? It is easy to identify if you have left the realm of faith. All you need is this verse. First off, power. The word power comes from the, the word dunamis. How many of y'all know what dunamis is? You heard many a message on dunamis. It means power, strength, or ability. It does not mean dynamite. It does not mean that. Dynamite comes from this word. It comes after it. It's not, their idea is not exploding, exploding power. Their idea is dunamis. It is power that is part of the nature of the thing. That's why they put it on dynamite. Because dynamite explodes because of the nature of the product that's inside. Power, dunamis. Power, strength, or ability. So the, when God put His Spirit on us, it is a source of of power a source of power when we see ourselves as inferior to the enemy we we cut off that source of power we're going with a different source of power we're going with our own source of power 
Benaiah goes into the pit because he sees a source of power greater than him working in him. Therefore, this lion is no match. And even willingly goes down into the pit with the lion when the lion was in no danger to him. Now, can, can a man, can a person kill a lion with his bare hands? No, but when the Spirit of God comes on that person, they can. Why did David kill the lion? Because David was such a strong guy? No, because the Spirit of God came upon him. How did Samson kill the lion? Because Samson is such a strong guy? No, Samson's strength was because the Spirit of God came upon him. How did Daniel survive the night in the, in the lion's den? Because the angel of the Lord came by and closed the mouth of the lions. Every time we have people engaging in lions, the Spirit of God comes upon them to help them overcome. The prophet we looked at not too long ago. The prophet wasn't supposed to go back the way he came. Remember what happened to him? Lion killed him. Why? The Spirit of God didn't come on him. Power. You've got to see that the power that is in you is bigger than your physical condition. That the power that is in you is bigger than what you face in your mind. The power that is in you is greater than whatever it is that comes up. If you do not, and you buckle against the sickness or disease, the pain or infirmity, the mental thoughts, whatever it might be, if you buckle under, then doesn't the verse of Scripture kick in that says that if you faint in the day of adversary, your strength is small. So what do you need to do? Build your strength up, which is power. Where does your strength come from? My strength comes from the Lord. All right, that's the first one. If you see your strength as inadequate for the thing that you are facing, you have, a, you have accepted the spirit of fear. Isn't that right? Aren't you afraid of something? Should you be afraid of it? You ought to get that picture of Benaiah in our head going down into the pit on a snowy day just for fun to take on a lion. Here's the second one, love, agape. We all know what this word is. This is the God kind of love. If you have fallen into the pit of fear, the spirit of fear, if you have fallen into that pit thinking, well, I guess God wants me to have this. Isn't that some kind of a weird idea of God's love? Haven't we corrupted the idea of God's love? His Spirit is a source of power and love, and we've cut off that source. If the, if the enemy can come in and cut off the source of the Spirit of God supplying the power, supplying the love, he can get you into the wrong realm. If he can get you to think wrong things about God. When people out there, when churches are out there talking about, well, God took them home. What are they doing? They're messing with people's idea of the love of God. And if we can mess with their idea of the love of God, we can get them out of the arena of faith into the arena of, of fear. And how often do you win in that arena? 
we don't win. We're not designed to win there. We're designed to win here. When I feel powerless, have a warped idea of love, here's the last one. Sound mind. Comes from the Greek word to mean discipline, self-control or a sound mind. Discipline. What gets you out of your discipline? Think of the things that require discipline. Getting up at a certain time in the morning, eating a certain type of food, staying away from certain kinds of food, going after whatever exercise regimen you have put out there. This is all discipline, isn't it? A person who is well-disciplined is a person who has control over their body. That if their body says, I'm this, they say, you are not body, get in line. Right? That's a, that's a person who's disciplined. That's, we, we like people that are disciplined like that. This, this, is, this is fun to, to, to watch. We're just not always that way. Why, aren't you, why don't you do that? Well, we have reasons. We've lost discipline. But here's what the Spirit of God is. The Spirit of God is a source of power and love and self-control. Well, I just can't control myself in those situations. What are you saying? Well, in those situations, I cut myself off in the power of God. Isn't that what we're saying? When we don't think straight, when pain comes in and our body is racked with pain and we don't think straight, that's not a sound mind, is it? That doesn't come from God. We make the decisions based on pressure. It's not a sound mind. That's not the way we should go. His spirit is a source of power, love, and, a, and self-control. Again, and easy to read. The spirit God gave us does not make us afraid. If what you have produces fear, it is not from God. Now think of it this way, folks. Is there anything not subject to God? God is the maker of the entire universe. Is God bigger than the universe? Absolutely. God understands the universe. God is great. God is awesome. But somehow, somehow we get into our mind that the thing that we're facing is too much for God. Really? And we become afraid that I won't have this, that this won't go on, that this won't be. We've got we to get out of that. Put this in your outline for you. When I feel powerless, have a warped idea of love, or have lost discipline, I am no longer of the faith born of the Spirit. What kind of things does discipline do? Discipline will keep me in the Word. Discipline keeps me thinking the word. Don't just stop with diet and exercise and stuff like that. Discipline keeps you thinking the word. When the world wants to pressure you to think differently. When your body wants to pressure you to think differently. Discipline thinks the word. What's the word of God talk about with that? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate upon it day and night. That you may be careful to do all that is written therein. God's warning to, to, to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Don't give in to fear. This is what God wants us to do. Take his word and let it guide your life. Too many times we see Christians. And that we, we, 
When was the last time we talked about this? It wasn't too long ago. We interpret the Bible in light of our experience. Instead of interpreting our experience in light of the Bible. How many Christians have come up to you and they talk to you? Well, I know the Bible says, I know so-and-so teaches that. I know that this verse says this, but my Aunt Sophie died of that. Mm-hmm. And she was confessing and she was doing all the things she's supposed to do. Yeah. We interpret the Bible from the light of our experience. That's the wrong kind of light. His Word is light. Interpret your experience from the light of His Word. That takes discipline. It takes discipline. Because we want to go in a direction that makes us feel good. That makes us feel right. Why do people on a diet go and splurge on pizza? Come on, there's only one reason. It tastes good. Thank you. That's it. There is no other reason. Why do people on a diet splurge on ice cream? It tastes good. Makes you feel good. Right? That's it. There's no, it's how you feel. What do they call it? Comfort food. Makes you feel good. Makes you feel comfortable. But a person who is disciplined doesn't do that. Why? No, not on my diet. It's not what I'm supposed to be eating. It's not what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, the Word of God says this. So do it. Stay with it. Why did Daniel grow to a place of excellence in the kingdom? Because of his discipline in the Word of God. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 13. And since we have the same spirit of what? Faith. According to what is written, I believe and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. Speak based on the spirit of faith that's in you. Not the spirit of fear. Awful lot of people are talking about the spirit of fear. They're talking from the spirit of fear. Talking about what they're afraid is going to happen. Well, I think I'm probably going to die. I don't think this is going to get any better. I think that they're speaking from fear. How does faith speak? I'll tell you what, there are some people who speak faith-filled words from a place of fear. If you know it, you know how to tell it. Just because you're saying the right things doesn't mean you're speaking from the right spirit. There's a difference. There's a confidence that's there. See, people who are in faith go down into pits. People who want to be in faith but are of fear chastise a lion from on top of the pit. Silly lion, stinking lion. If I was down there, I'd take you out. That's a person who wants to be in faith, but isn't. They start talking all kinds of stuff about their sickness and disease in the presence of Christians, and they get away from it, and they get by themselves. And what do they say? Oh, I'm getting worse. Oh, I think I'm going to die. Oh, this is just this way, and this is going to be this way. Don't do it. Don't fall into that. Second Timothy 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Talking about being ashamed. It's that spirit of fear will come on you and get you to be ashamed. Why don't you stand up and confess, I am healed? Well, if I don't get healed, people will look at me and they'll say this. See, you're not ready to go down into the pit. 
You just want to throw insults from on top of the pit. Don't do that. We, God needs some people who are ready to go down into the pit. Are you one of those people who's ready to go down into the pit? Are you confident in the ability that God has in you to go down and take on a lion in the pit? Or are you only confident to be on top of the pit, look down inside and throw stones? Beniah, I'll tell you what, he's a good guy to look at. We need some more folks that will be ready to go down into the pit. When the lion comes into your life, folks, don't hide from him. Go after him. He's got no place doing anything with you. So here's your question. Are you in the arena of faith? Or have you been moved to another? Are you in the arena of faith? Or have you been moved into another arena? Now, just like ruts in a road to try and keep the tires in the same place, of course, that means a whole lot more when you are familiar with dirt roads. How many have never driven on a dirt road? If you've never driven on a dirt road, you don't know what a rut is. But if you've driven on a dirt road, you know what a rut is. And that car just wants to stay right in the rut. It doesn't want to get out of the rut. If you try and get out of the rut, it's going to steer you back into the rut. That's just because that's where all the other tires go, and that's where your tires should go. Because everybody else's tires went there. And as the rut gets deeper and deeper, it gets harder and harder to stay out of it. The longer that condition is going on in your life, the deeper are the ruts. And the more it's going to try and keep you in that spot. You've got to jump start in some of those areas. Mental areas, mind, mind issues, captivity issues, things like that. Physical issues, healing of your body, somewhere in, in that neck of the woods. But as you get away from that, the ruts begin to try and pull you back into how it was done before. You've got to fight against those ruts. You've got to stand up against those ruts. Whatever happened to you during this week should show you God does not want you in that condition. That should show you that. So you're going to kick out that thought, God wants me in that condition. Because if he did, he wouldn't have done anything. You wouldn't have felt anything in your body. You wouldn't have felt any change at all. But you did feel a change. And there is nothing in this world that you cannot overcome because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. If you are not operating those three things, then some other spirit has got hold of you. I'm not saying you're possessed. <laughs> I'm just saying another spirit has got hold of you. One that's not from God. And you are spouting things off, feeling inspired, saying things that are not from God. Because what He gives you will have these three characteristics. Power, love, and a sound mind. Whatever God gives you, you will know you are greater than anything you face. Any pain, any sickness, any disease, it doesn't matter. You are greater because of the one that is in you. Not because of who you are, because of who he is. Sound mind. You will stay disciplined to do what the Word of God says, to think what the Word of God says to think, to go in the direction the Word of God says to go. And you will stay disciplined on it. Guess who is going to try and get you out of it? 
Because he knows if you stay in the direction of the word of God, you will get victory. The enemy does not like us to have victory. Because in order for us to have a victory, someone suffers a defeat. (laughs) He doesn't like to lose. Just like we don't like to lose. But here's the problem, folks. We've gotten used to losing in those areas in our life. We're so used to losing that when we start to lose again, we just give in. You feel that sickness and disease condition come in, and instead of getting up, you lay around in bed. You feel that condition hindering you from walking or doing whatever. So instead of getting up, what do we do? Well, I guess I should rest. Right? We're going to go back into the the other rut. No, what you should do is begin to speak to your body. Body, I am healed. Or speak to your body like Jay was teaching. Be healed. You be healed. Speak to that body. Stop putting up with it. And don't go praying to God. Oh, God, take this thing away. Stop it. That is a rut that is not in the Word of God. Stop praying to God to heal you. Find one case in the Word of God where that worked. How did it work? Speak to the disease. Speak to the disease. Now, we've had a number of different people praying over folks. How many of y'all know when we call you up and you can come on up here and we, we pray while different people pray? How many of y'all know how easy it is to begin to pray to God to heal the person? Because we're, it's a rut. It's a, it's a rut. It's a rut we fell into a long time ago. I still sometimes slap myself upside the head. Don't pray to God for this person to be healed. Why? Because no one did it in the Word of God. What did they do? What did Jesus do? Every time Jesus had a sick person, what did he do? Oh, God, please heal them. Oh, God, heal this person now. Oh, God, by faith we believe this person is healed. What does he do? Speaks to the sickness and the disease. If Jesus did it, if Peter did it, if Paul did it, if John did it, If all the people in the New Testament did it, why do we do anything different? Speak to it. Speak to it. Not to God. Speak to it. Command that thing. Remember, we've gone over this principle, but I still go over it myself. How long should your prayer be? As short as possible. The longer you pray, the more doubt and unbelief you are susceptible to. Guarantee you, the longer you pray, the more doubt and unbelief you are susceptible to. Most of Jesus' prayers are, if not one or two words, no more than one sentence. But we will pray paragraphs. Why? But how many of y'all know Christians sometimes will get up in line and get prayed for Man, I got gypped. He just said two words to me. We feel like we got to give them their money's worth or something. I don't know. Pray longer. The longer you pray, the more doubt and unbelief can work its way in to your prayer. You don't need to pray to God. Just simply, they come on up. In the name of Jesus, be healed. 
whatever it is, it can be short. It can be short. I, the man with the withered hand, what does Jesus do? Commands him to stand forth. And then what's he say? In the name of Jesus. What's he do? But that's what he can't do. Why does he do that? What's he say to the man who's paralyzed? Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that's what he can't do. Right? Why is it that Jesus so many times told people as his prayer to do what they could not do? And then when they did it, they saw healing. Speak to your situation. Speak to your limbs. Speak to whatever it is that's giving you pain. And stop laying around waiting for it to happen. It's about time, folks, we had some Christians who are ready to go down into pits with lions for no good reason than because the lion's in the pit. You ought to hate the enemy that much. He goes about like a roaring lion. You ought to hate him that much that when you see him working, you will go down into a pit on a snowy day and take him on. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for encouragement you give us in your word. Men like Benaiah, who would go down into pits on snowy days when there's a whole lot of excuses not to go down into the pit. Most of which is there's a lion there. But he goes down into the pit, takes on the lion, kills the lion, and then gets out of the pit. Huh. Father, we've been afraid to fight some of the things that are around. We think that the man of God ought to just come out, speak a few words, call on the name of his God, wave his hand, and there's no more battle. But our body tends to go back to the way that it was. But you told us how to fix it. How to call for those things that are not as though they were. So Father, I thank you for the help that you give us. Whatever condition it is that we face, we don't look at it as I will be healed. We look at it as I am healed. Body, get in line. And get mad when we see anything else going on. We don't talk discouragement. We don't talk doubt. We don't talk unbelief. We don't talk what ifs, maybe so's. We talk about what your word says. And this is what your word said. And every day, we can speak to our situation and know, oh yeah, know where we're going. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You got time for one more story? All right, nobody does, so I guess we won't get into it. I can tell you this story why our ushers are bringing the elements around. I was listening to Brother, Brother Keith Moore. He was telling a story about how he got a regal, Buick regal. Anybody ever hear Brother Keith talk about how he got his Buick regal? It's a great story. It's so good he's told it a couple of times. He was t- talking about how the Lord showed them the things they needed to do to receive the things from God. This goes for healing cars, finances, whatever it might be. And so they they learned these principles. 
and they put these principles to work. And they said, okay, in the next 30 days, we are going to have a brand new Buick Regal. I like this one thing he was sharing along the way. Well, I'll tell you that later. Don't let me forget. Don't let me forget. It's important to tell you, tell you that part. So they were believing for this Buick. Every day they'd get up, they'd go around. They were expecting a Buick Regal, brand new Buick Regal. Every day they look in the mail. Every day they answer the phone. Hello, this might be it. Constantly thinking and went on that all the way up until the 30th day. And even then, they didn't get discouraged. They kept on till midnight. And he said, 12.15, 12.30, 1 a.m. They still waiting and expecting. But then they just went to bed. He said they didn't even talk to each other. They just went to bed. And that was the last they thought of the Buick Regal. And he never, never challenged God, never thought God let him down, never said that the word didn't work. He knew he missed it somewhere, just didn't know where he missed it. And one of the times he, he said God was dealing with him on the, on the thing, and, and uh, I, I'm not sure if Brother Keith asked him, down in his spirit, it wasn't any kind of a visitation like that. And he's asking, you know, whatever happened with that Buick Regal? Why didn't we get it? He says, you were doing fine with what you knew. You were doing great. And then all of a sudden, you let a mechanism with springs and gears tell you you didn't get it. And he says, oh. He says, you were doing great. He was so mad. At, this is years, a few years afterwards. He was so mad at himself for letting it go and for, for stopping. And the Lord spoke this to him. He says, yeah, but it's not too late. He said, it's not. He says, no. He says, nothing you sow in the Spirit is ever too late. Oh. So he came on home and talked to Phyllis, and they got it going again. And they started believing God for the Buick Regal. Well, it was six months, another six months. I forget how many six-month period it went on for a while. But after a while, it was just a, it was just a car. It was just a, a good car, new car. It was just a car. And Phyllis came home one day. He says, you'll never guess who I talked to today. Who did you talk to? Brother so-and-so. And he told us, he says, he wants to buy us a new car. Which one does he want to get us? He said, whatever one we want. So he said, we went out to a car dealership. They'd forgotten about the Buick Regal. He said, went out to a car dealership and looked around, and there was no, no car that jumped out at him. Went to a second car dealership, looked around. There was no car that got hold of him. They went to a third car dealership, nothing. Went into another one that happened to be a Buick dealer. And they walked in on there. They saw this brand new, I think he said it was white, but it was brand new Buick Regal, the newest one. And apparently this was the one that had the, one of the first cars that had the touchscreen on the inside. Brand new. And they said, oh, we like that one. Oh, I'm sorry, but that one is sold. Can we show you something else? They said, no. No, not, not really. But if that one becomes available let us know he said it wasn't the next day they called him up the next day and they said uh it turns out it's not sold <laughs> i went on down and got it and received a brand new buick regal paid for they said they had it for a number of years and eventually sold it see sometimes we put time thing now i, I, I didn't forget what i told you this is a principle he was teaching that i think i love this principle this great principle he said this is what the lord spoke to him about this 
He said, when you stepped out on the Buick Regal, he says, that was big for you. So it wasn't big for me, but it was big for you. He said this, he says, if you are going to believe big, you have to be prepared to wait long or to stand long. That was the word he used. You must be prepared to stand long. He didn't say you had to stand long. He said you need to be prepared to stand long. Faith works by patience. I heard somebody teach, you have as much faith as you have patience. You need to be patient. Because the Word of God says that we patiently wait for it. Patiently waiting is not complaining. It's not talking about how you didn't get it. Patiently waiting is speaking to your body, speaking to your circumstances, speaking to what's going on around, and not putting up with anything else. There's a lion out there. He wants to devour you. Don't let him. You can be a lion killer if you want. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. Before supper, he broke and said, This represents my body, which is broken for you. On his body was put our sickness, our disease, the curse that we had coming to us. He took on him. As we eat this together, let's remember the work that he did for our bodies. After supper, he took the cup. He said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. The old covenant, blood just covered up sin. The new covenant, it's not so. It washes it away. The price has been paid. And there is nothing you need to add to complete salvation. To bring on the forgiveness of sins. What he did is all we need to do. Don't let anyone tell you different. As we drink together, let's remember. We are clean before him. The righteousness of God before God the Father. The righteousness of Christ before God the Father. We are his righteousness. It's not because of what we have done. It's because of what Jesus Christ has done in our place. In our place. He took our place. Don't let the enemy tell you different. Don't let the enemy tell you that God sees you this way. He does not. He sees you as Christ because of what he did. Let's drink together. Thank you, Lord. It's good to be in remembrance of those things. We have some praise reports. Can you get your praise report in? You might have a little bit of time here. In both knees and shoulders, and she said that she's impacting her co workers by showing his glory. Hallelujah. Things that we learned. Ethel says she's very thankful for all the word nuggets that we received, which have changed our lives. Praise the Lord. Um, Ray says, As we rejoice with Jay and Tammy, my burden was for a friend. As I kept in touch via text, I started to hear tremendous positive messages from him. I, pray, I praise God for his goodness. And healing power, and I thank Pastor for bringing Jay and Tammy um, to us to give us a new revelations. Um, yesterday, we went, this is from Jolly, so we went out on an invitation to a community party yesterday and met an old-time Navy colleague who had all the canopies and sound systems we need for our July 11th housewarming. Praise God. Um, she's, willing to have them, she's willing to have them over to us. Praise the Lord. Now, that reminds me, in your bulletin, it was announced that 
we're all invited to their home for their housewarming, and it wasn't put in there that it, they have a pool, the pool's open, right? And lots of things for the kids, so if you can, mark it on your calendar if you can go. Um, and I, I just wanted to praise God for, again, thanking all of you for everything that you did to help the meetings go so smoothly. But um, also this week, I had an opportunity, well, uh, something that happened in my life. It didn't happen to me directly, but I was involved with it. And it just reiterated how utterly important it is to know the word. Not to know what somebody thinks the interpretation is, or, but to know the word. Because this week we, we lost somebody because people didn't know the word. And, um, you know, it gave me an opportunity to shout at the devil and really hate him and remind him of his outcome and that I'm standing with Brother Keith and I will not shed one tear when he is cast into that lake and just done away with. But we are blessed to know the word, to be taught the word. And I thank God for so many men and women of God who have poured the word into me and who have taught me the truth of the word. You know, um, I'm so grateful for that and I don't want to ever take it for granted.